Joso. Uh, no. More about gel coat. When the force. Don't you call in the. More importantly. Now the world don't move to the beat of just one drop. Oh, David, is this the last time we're going to talk about different fucking strokes? I I hope not. We have a lot oh, more to cover. God. It's funny because the idea for this came to me the same day that we just recently dropped a TV talkaholics into the regular let's face the facts feed and it was the TV talkaholics where we talked about Kimberly and the older man yeah. when Blair and Natalie were on and I texted you and said, "Hey, let's do this other different strokes. We have to get back to our roots here." And do you remember what you texted me back? No, something horrible. You said, I listened to the show this morning and I thought to myself, well, thank God we're getting close to the end of the show and I'm never going to have to watch another episode of Different Strokes again. Yeah. (laughs) Oops. And I did double duty just to preemptively stop any idea you might have. I went and watched the wedding episode that Mrs. Garrett comes back for. Oh, when he marries Dixie Carter. Yes. I haven't seen that one. I've never oh have God. not seen it. She's in it for about 30 seconds <laughs> and then disappears. I don't you don't see her in the crowd scenes of the wedding at all. And um, was that while she was she still on Facts of Life or did she come back? It was come- 84. Okay, so she was still on Facts of Life. They asked her how her gourmet food shop was doing. Oh, okay. And she threw some shade at Pearl. What did she say? She said, oh, you're the old housekeeper. And she said, I'm the ex-housekeeper. And then she does like a glove check on the dust on something and rolls her eyes and that's it. Wow. But, oh my God, that show. (laughs) You should... Take a peek at it because Dixie Carter is talking like she's got new teeth. Oh, is she? <laughs> what does that sound like? <laughs> like, like she, everything's up here, and she's talking, and every, like she's not used to her front upper teeth now. And I don't know, but I never. Is she Southern her. in it? Does she play? Oh yeah. Has oh, she yeah. technically has Dixie Carter ever not played a Southern woman? I don't think so. <laughs> Even when she played Maria Callas in Masterclass on Broadway. Exactly. She's like, well, hey, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Well, Different Strokes, Season 2, Episode 22, The Slumber Party, from March 12th of 1980. Wasn't this a fucking blast from the past? Party is a strong word. (laughs) I just love the fact that we're now at we're, we're like 10 less than 10 episodes away from the end of the series and to now go back and see 10-year-old Kim Fields from season 1 yeah on her roller skates and again you're like yep and with that she is only as tall as the others yeah. like that camouflage wise that kind of was genius yeah, when yeah. you think of it that was like they wanted to use her and rather than say, well, we can't, she's too young. Um, but to see that, to see young Mindy Cohn, young inexperienced Mindy Cohn again, and and the others to be reminded mm. how far the show has journeyed. To see Molly Ringwald trying to act. 
and and you and I both recently watched some of her movies. You watched uh, Breakfast Club. I watched Pretty in Pink, and we talked about it on the the wonderful Jennifer B's podcast. What do you mean you've never seen? So having just experienced <laughs> good Molly Ringwald, ooh, coming back to this was was a little bit was a little rough. Yeah. But the show is available on Prime Video. Sadly, it's not available on the Daily Motion uh, stuff. There's only a few of them available on Daily Motion. And uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself because, you know, we've been starting to do this thing called Facts Facts on the Let's Face the Facts podcast. Mm-hmm. I was like, what could we call the Fast Facts here? And I thought maybe we can call them Talkaholic Points. Mm. See what I did there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. So how would you like to hear some uh, talkaholic points before we get into the nuts and bolts, Matthew? I would love to hear a toke stroke. Or oh. Stroke, stroke toke. I don't know. <laughs> a stroken token. Mm. Yeah. Then she used to get those at the bathhouses and down in <clears throat> Times Square. Well, anyway, 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 anyway. You had to put the quarter in the machine and everything. But yeah, that's what the, the little video booths didn't. I, I, if they didn't call them stroke tokes, they're idiots. Talk about opportunity missed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here are some talkaholic points. Mm. Different strokes only ran for eight seasons. What? Did you just say only? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But it ran eight seasons, 189 episodes. And that includes the final season where NBC was like, uh, no, we're good. We don't need another season out of you. And ABC was like, give us, give us this cash cow, this yeah. uh, profit center here. Yeah. But Put that think- sinking ship over here. <laughs> we'll take it. But I just love pointing out, and I pointed this out before. Different Strokes, eight seasons, 189 episodes. Facts of Life, its offspring, nine seasons, 201 episodes. Ta-da. So, you go, girls. Uh, another talkaholic point. How many crossover episodes do you believe there were, Matthew? Crossover episodes where the Facts of Life girls showed up on different strokes and vice yes. versa? Oh, oh, didn't occur to me vice versa. If we well, include- only the one in there. Oh, there's two. There's the um, yeah, uh, uh, Countess, the Countess Calve Jaja Gabor episode. Remember, Todd yeah. Bridges briefly is in that one, and then we've got no, we've got Arnold starts off season two. Remember, because he's got the lobster right oh, before yeah. we meet Joe, and uh, and then we've got the the pilot. So I guess there are three facts of lives. So how many different strokes episodes though, where the facts of life cast appears? How many of those do you think there are? Fuck, how many have I had to endure? Um, (laughs) 11. Oh, dear God. You're glutton for punishment, dear. It's only five of them. Oh. And And how have we done 87 episodes of Different Strokes? (laughs) Well, remember, we also were looking into season one just to give us some more insight into Mrs. Garrett. You know, where we learned she was also going to night school where she meets the guy who proposes to her, how in the pilot she lets loose that she goes to karate class. Yeah. Uh, so, and and I want to continue that. We still have quite a few episodes in season one to explore the riddle wrapped in a question mark 
embalmed in an enigma that Edna Garrett is slash was. But uh, there were only five. Oh, oh, God, I'm sorry. I lied to you. There are six of them. So I, I lost. I, I forgot one of them. Uh, one of them is, of course, the backdoor pilot at the end of season one that created the Facts of Life, the girls' school. We've talked about that. That was the first one. Then we have the slumber party. That's the second one. Then the bank job. We did that one too, didn't we? Where the kids go in and... Yes. Yeah. Tootie's in it for like a minute and a half. Yeah. Tootie's there. And when the boys go into the bank, we talked about that one. And then first day blues. And that's the one where we have no Arnold. That's the one where Willis is at a new school and then he gets pot. Mm. And they literally just went, well, get get Tootie and have her say Arnold's lines. So there's oh, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then there was the older man. That's the one we just redropped in the face, the facts feed. And uh, there's still one more to come called The Team, 1981. And I have no idea what that one is about. According to IMDb, Willis sues the school basketball team when he loses his position to a white player because of their affirmative action policy. Huh. Mm. So of these six episodes, Tootie is in five of them. And you're forgetting, obviously, the wedding with Mrs. Garrett in it. So seven. So there's seven. Oh, shit. I didn't. Because you know what I did? Stupidly, I looked at just each of the individual girls and how many times they appeared mm-hmm. on different strokes. So you're right. There are seven. So I take back everything. We, let's, let's just start recording again. <laughs> Welcome back, guys. It's another episode of TV Talkaholics. Shut up. Uh, let me continue. Let me just go down this rabbit hole. Lisa Welchel was in two, the girls' school and the older man. Mindy Cohn was in two, this one, the slumber party and the older man. Remember, Mindy Cohn was not in the girls' school, the backdoor pilot. Molly was in the girls' school backdoor pilot, and in this one, two. Julianne Haddock in the role of Cindy just is in this one. Julie Pikarski as Suzanne is just in the girls' school. So basically, five appearances for Tootie, two for Blair, two for Natalie, two for Molly, one for Cindy, one for Sue Ann. There. I know. And one for the road. (laughs) Make it one for my baby. Uh, Another talkaholic point. Mm. Uh, There are eight episodes, random episodes from season one on Daily Motion. But the good news is that all of them, the entire series is available on Prime Video, including NBC and the ABC, that final eighth season. Uh, the Amazon Prime versions, though, we've said before, they are the syndicated versions. Mm, they are topped. And you can notice a couple of points where it happens. Thank goodness we have the wonderful website, subslikescripts.com, where I send a link pretty much every week where you can get a transcript, which is just this website that's read the encoding of the closed captioning. So as we go along, I will be pointing out a couple of little bits that were taken out of this episode, because that does have the full length uh, DVD version of the Different Strokes episodes. So those are the talkaholic points. What do you want, Matthew? Do you want nuts and bolts, or do you want to know what was on the other networks? Oh, what was on the other networks? 
Well, this is on a Wednesday. March 12th of 1980 was a Wednesday. So uh, we are here. This is season two of Different Strokes, and season one of The Facts of Life is running concurrently. So Wednesday night, we had Real People starting at eight o'clock. That was in its first season. So Real People was still a very new thing. We're only halfway through the season. Uh, so this was paired up with The Facts of Life. At nine o'clock, we had this. And then on The Facts of Life at 9.30, we had season one, episode five called Overachieving. That's the one where Tootie's dad is coming to the school for a career day. And they actually referenced that later in this episode, if you recall. Do you remember? No. Oh, well, at one point, Kimberly and uh, Willis, when they're finally getting to what the fuck are they fighting about? Kimberly is like, you guys can hang out in your room and we need to be down here so we can have the kitchen because we girls were going to make some cookies for career day this week at Eastland. And Tootie says, yeah, my father's coming to speak. He's a lawyer in D.C. Yeah, I thought you'd be pretty happy with that. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, the, that is canon. Yeah. <laughs> the folk you has already been established now. I so you'd enjoy that. Good for them. I'm, I'm shocked to find such integrity this early in both shows. But the other thing of note for season one, episode five of The Facts of Life, this is where they returned from that hiatus. Remember, they started the show and they went, let's back off and make a couple of changes. <laughs> they got rid of Jenny O'Hara. And you know your show. Your show yeah. is really got to be good if they show four episodes and say, we need to pull it from the schedule and you need to retool it. <laughs> and then what we got was the rest of season one, which was equally as abysmal. Probably the winner there is Jenny O'Hara that she's no longer attached to it. Now, we do have a little bit of a scandal here. We do have some contradictions. I'm beginning to think that the internet may not be always 100% reliable, Matthew. Oh, God, was Thriller released the same day? <laughs> uh, almost as scandalous. TVTango.com, which is where I always get my information about what is on the other networks. Oh, TV God, the Cabbage Patch Kids were released this year. What happened? <laughs> Again. <laughs> Don't leave me in suspense. Uh, TV Tango reflects that Hello, Larry aired after this episode and not the facts of life. Mm. And when you look up the Hello, Larry Wikipedia, it does show this same night as being the particular episode they say is broadcasting. So uh, we have a little bit of a discrepancy. I'm inclined to think uh, it doesn't say specifically what showed at 10. Maybe they put it in the 10 o'clock hour, but I'm like, if they went to such trouble to mention Tootie's father coming to career day and then the ability to show the career day episode, I'm pretty sure that facts of life did run. Yeah, Just saying. So. so that's NBC. We have uh, not probably not Hello, Larry, but definitely real people in the facts of life preceding and following this on ABC. We had Charlie's Angels, Matthew. <gasps> Did you watch Charlie's Angels? Was that a big one for you? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's before your time. Yeah, you're too young before my time. But also, no. <laughs> what do you mean? Jiggle TV was not for me. 
<laughs> I mean, clearly, but I still watched it. Jesus. And here's the thing. It's like, ooh, that's tough. Facts of life and different strokes are up against Charlie's Angels. And, oh, we're in season four of Charlie's Angels. That's the Shelley Hack season. No. Now, why did an actress named Shelley Hack not succeed in her acting career? Well, everybody said she was a hack. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hope that was her birth name or her married name. <laughs> she still could have used it. It's like... I'm going to change my name from David Almeida to what? To David Bad Actor. Mm-hmm. Okay, you go for that. After Charlie's Angels was Vegas, the Robert Urich show with the S is the dollar sign in Vegas because it's about money. And Vegas was in the second of its three seasons. And then uh, CBS, not much going on, not much listed on TV Tango. So there's not as much information. But at eight o'clock was. Uh, a five-episode series, a very short-run series. I don't know which episode it was, but it was Beyond Westworld. And if you're familiar, Westworld, everyone in the contemporary world thinks of the, the 2016 HBO series, Westworld. But Westworld was originally a movie in 73, written and directed by Michael Crichton. He'd go on to write a little novel called Jurassic Park that would go on to be a big ass movie. But uh, yeah, so this was the, uh, the third chapter, I guess. So we had Westworld in 73. Then there was uh, another movie called Future World in 1976. That was a sequel to Westworld. And then this was a TV series. It only ran for five episodes. I think it was canceled. I don't think it was limited run. But uh, this is called Beyond Westworld, and apparently it ignored the sequel. It already was retconning shit only the third time out. Jurassic Park was big? (laughs) Yeah. I never heard of it, but so many pieces of the puzzle. I did a video called Up Jurassic Park. (laughs) And now it explains the, oh my God, the T-Rex costume. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, Michael Crichton, who, by the way, passed away in 2008 at the age of 66. He was six foot nine. Holy bejesus. So that's what's going on, what was going on with the other networks. But now it's time for some nuts and bolts, and then we can finally get to the interesting part of this fucking show here. God. Interesting is a strong word. (laughs) I didn't say good. Uh, the episode was directed by Garen Keith. We have talked about him in the past. He has directed many, many of the different strokeses. Uh, he is African-American, and that is a good thing because we know uh, shows with Black characters were often uh, highly devoid of Black creative input behind the scenes. So that's a good thing. And the show was written by two writers. <laughs> It took two people to write this, David. (laughs) But once you see who the writers are, it makes all the sense that it took two people. Because, you know, for these two, fucking lunch was at 10 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) They had their nap after that. (laughs) By the time they woke up again, it was dinner time at three. And then they had to be back (laughs) at the home by sundown. So cheese and crackers. Fred S. Fox was one of the writers, David. 
And if you look at his IMDb page, it he was is... 65 when he wrote this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and if you look at his page to understand his comedy, that to have a 65 year old writer on a comedy like this, well, because they really needed uh, his youthful voice, which many people enjoyed on many, many Bob Hope and or George Burns TV specials. And some, I mean, did you know there was a Bob Hope to NASA special? Uh, oh, there was a Bob Hope to ever. But he goes back to like 1954, the Bob Hope show. Like the, we're talking the dawn of television here, not far after Lucille Ball. That was Fred S. Fox. But Fred S. Fox's writing partner, who also basically shares most of the same credits for all. Oh, wait. Oh, no. I How dare you try to go past this? I'm still on Fred S. Fox. Okay, talk about... I forgot to research them. I only peaked and never wrote anything down. I thought I didn't. I just flaked. He was born in 1915, for God's sake. <laughs> so I wasn't joking when I said he was 65 in 1980. Jesus. Um, the last thing he wrote was Bob Hope's USO Road to the Berlin Wall and Moscow. <laughs> oh, the 90s were a crazy time, kids. Um, and, and just to put it into perspective, Bob Hope was 10 years away from death. So Bob Hope was 90 when that fucking happened. God damn. So by, by the time that came out that motherfucker was shit in his drawers um <laughs> he wrote, wrote um some things you might not have realized 19 episodes of the love boat and um one of my personal favorites actually oh god book two. Oh, he did do the oh god book two screenplay so lots of that you're welcome but yeah, wow. he had to rely a lot on his writing partner, his older writing partner, <laughs> who was born in 1912, ladies and gentlemen. And what is the name of this uh, elder writing partner, Matthew? I thought I was on the wrong site when I saw <laughs> it. And um, Mr., I'm assuming Mr., um, Seaman Jacobs. Seaman. Jacobs, yeah. S-E-A-M-A-N, like, yeah. like a sailor, a seaman. Seaman. Somebody named their child Seaman Jacobs. Yeah, they did. What did they and call him for sure? Please, I hope his nickname was Jizz. Like, hey, hey, Jizz, get over here. I need that script. Jacobs. Yeah, Jake. That's it. We we hopefully we called him Jake. Yeah. Um but, as I mentioned before, Fred over here took, you know, he was like, uh, I'm done here in 1990 after writing for Bob Hope. Oh, but not, not Seaman. No. What did Seaman write for? Seaman kept on swimming. <laughs> the last thing he wrote was Bob Hope's 1992 special. So he was 70 by, <laughs> by now. He didn't die till he was 96 for Christ's sake. Um, put us out of our misery. Um, he wrote Bob Hope's America, Red, White, and Beautiful in 1992. But he did have a little more of a kind of, I mean, it's impressive. A little very career. Word. He started with the Ed Wynn Show from 1949 to 1950. This is 
absolutely the dawn of television. But then we have the Johnny Carson show, the Donna Reed show, Joey Bishop, my favorite Martian, Petticoat Junction, the Adams family, my three sons. Also, oh God, book two. The mothers-in-law, Red Skelton, Tim Conway, Maud. I think he co-wrote those. He yep. wrote a couple episodes of Maud. He also wrote back in the day, um, what was it? How to Marry a Millionaire. Oh, my gosh. But all of those shows, the Lucy show, the Andy Griffith show, the mothers-in-law, here's Lucy. It's all that old comedy. Old, old school, old hat. Yep. And it looks like they wrote four different strokes together. This is one of four episodes mm. that they wrote. So they were in the writer's room. Their creative voice was <laughs> very important to the evolution of this show about uh, a blended family of racial and diversity. That amazing career won primetime Emmy nomination <laughs> in 1978. Won. She's and crackers. Wow. Well, uh, are we are we done with our semen? Are we done with <laughs> we're yeah. done with with Fred and semen? Let me get a Kleenex. <laughs> I'm just going to use this sock. Uh. <laughs> okay, okay. They they are old school comics. We are twelve year old boy comics, basically. Mm -hmm. Here, that's our sense of humor. <laughs> so. Uh, you ready to do the synopsis, the actual yes. talking about the show? Uh, I'm going to do a longer form synopsis, and then we can talk about the details. Let's try to do this format here. Okay. We have the, the Drummond House, and uh, Philip gets a phone call. Philip, meaning uh, Conrad Bain, gets a phone call from a lady that the kids say has a sexy voice. Well, it's a woman named Valerie Hunter, and he makes dinner plans to be with her. But what is he going to do about the kids? Mrs. Garrett no longer works there. We haven't yet hired Adelaide, so he is without a babysitter. I don't know what that was about or what the fuck they were thinking that they hadn't replaced. I guess they weren't sure they were going to need to replace Charlotte Ray, that they were kind of like, she might be coming back. It might be putting the cart before the horse. Because I thought this whole time, and I'm sorry if I'm just jumping in, but the the, the meat of this episode is so nothing on the bone. No. Um, I thought, what a great episode to have that be Adelaide's first day. Oh, it would have been great. You know, I mean, to introduce the new, thank God I've got the new housekeeper coming tonight to take care of everything. <laughs> and then she's got this shit going on and she's like, get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> so, but I, I kept thinking that the whole time. I was like, it would have been funny to throw that little old lady in the middle of all this. Yeah, and have chaos. them lock her in the closet or some shit like that. Or yeah. have her like throwing kids into the closet. <laughs> that would have been great. But yeah, we talked about there was an earlier uh, episode that we also talked about another, I think one of the crossovers where we're like, there is no, oh, it was, it was the older man. It was the one where Kimberly went on the date with the older man and Arnold and Willis followed her to the movie theater. So we're like, okay, so they're just walking around downtown Manhattan, just two kids unsupervised. Sure. Why not? David, just so you don't have to eat crow. Oh, dear. Um. This was episode 22. Correct. Of season two. Her first, El, Ned Ravolz's first appearance was in episode 14. 
what? Net, um, Nedra Volz is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I heard you. I'm just going, oh. what? Oh, for dramatical effect. Okay. Oh, I thought that they went the whole season without Adelaide. Okay, then I'm wrong. No, I'll, I'll eat McCrow. I don't know. I just assume that, but that, okay, then the next question is, well, why the fuck wasn't she there? <laughs> Where the hell was she? <laughs> Where the hell was she? Jesus Christ. We couldn't have given her a line, and Adelaide is up in Peekskill or yeah. something. <laughs> Adelaide had to go home to care for her sick aging father. Something. <laughs> her grandparents are taking ill. <laughs> it's funny because she's old. <laughs> old lady. And she was only what, 47? <laughs> I think she was older than that. <laughs> so, knowing that the kids were not going to have anyone watching them, he basically deputizes Kimberly. And says, well, Kimberly, you're the eldest child. You're in charge. Well, ding dong, four screaming girls come running in. It's Kimberly's friends from Eastland. You know, Eastland, that school that Kimberly attends. Yeah. I'm making air quotes there. And it is, of course, Natalie, Tootie, Cindy, and Molly. They're all going over to Molly's parents' house to have a slumber party. And they want Kimberly to join them. So she's like, well, shit, I got a babysit. Fuck me. And anytime I'm at a slumber party, when Molly shows up, usually I'm happy. <laughs> mm. Well, uh, fortunately, it's all quickly resolved where Philip says, no, you go have fun at the slumber party and I'll stay home with the boys. And a little bit is cut from syndication where the boys work kind of hard to convince him to let Willis and Arnold be at home alone and leave Willis in charge. He had apparently tried earlier, didn't go very well, but this time it was going to be fine. So off they go. And then we go sort of back and forth for the rest of the episode between Philip's date with this uh, beautiful woman and the kids at the house. And Philip is constantly distracted, first by wondering if the kids are okay. And we have a running thing of him making phone calls from the table. That's how she-she this restaurant is, is, uh, oh, oh, Garcon, would you bring me a phone? And they bring a phone to his table. And got to plug it into the wall. <laughs> well, modular jacks were fairly new at that point. So that was kind of. Because there's only one phone line. Like, this is it. We got to plug in. It just made me laugh every time they <laughs> had to pull out a fucking phone. Well, then we have repeated phone calls back and forth where the kids are interrupting the dinner more and more because Kimberly brings the girls back after Willis has invited some of his friends over to hang out with his father's blessing. And then it becomes a fight over, well, we're having a slumber party here. No, we're having a slumber party here. And it doesn't make sense because we know that their Park Avenue apartment is probably 7,000 square feet and they have a fucking hot tub room. Yeah. Why they can't just go off to their respective rooms and have a summer or you have the upstairs and we have the downstairs makes no fucking sense. But uh, it ends up culminating into them fighting. Uh, Willis treats Arnold like shit so that Arnold ends up defecting and going to the girl's side. And that really pisses him off. Kimberly declares this is war before we go to the commercial. And with all of the interruptions on the phone, Philip's thing is like, look, you can't stop interrupting me. You have to come to a compromise and that's an order. It's what, what 
Or you could be a fucking parent and say, hey, Kimberly is back. Kimberly is in charge now. She's the oldest child. And you, uh, you don't have to reach a compromise. You, boys, go upstairs. Girls, stay downstairs. And I'll be home. And we'll talk about this before. Get the fuck out of my life. I am trying to rail this chick later. And yeah. she is hot to trot for some illogical, unknown reason. Mm-hmm. So Philip has a very good shot at getting laid tonight. And Philip took the blue pill. This it's to, <laughs> it's tonight or never. It's, this, he's raring to go. Yeah. And and if I were he, I'd be like, yeah, th- this doesn't happen very often, I don't think. Or maybe it does. It's 1980. Maybe Conrad Bain is trolling the streets with the pussy posse with <laughs> Dick Van Patten and yeah. Bernie Capel. Yeah. Dick Dawson. <laughs> And Dick Dawson and Ed Burns from that that fucking was it the Twirl movie? Where was he? Which was the movie where he was the the guy? The guy that's you know he's Vince Fontaine in the movie Grease. That's that's Ed Burns. Oh yes, okay. So all of these guys, all of these writers who were between the ages of sixty five and seventy, were clearly looking at Conrad Bain saying, well. This guy is a fucking chick magnet. We need to write a show whereby there's a younger lady who is desperate to have him fuck her. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, it culminates into, uh, after all this back and forth and back and forth, the kids actually show up at the restaurant. Willis and Arnold and Kimberly show up to the restaurant. Again, how do they get there? Unsupervised. And then at the end, the girl who is getting understandably frustrated and annoyed with all of these interruptions, she ends up being quite the mensch and says, why don't you, Philip, it's fine. Why don't you ask the kids to stay for dessert? And he says, yeah, okay, sure. I'm not mad anymore. This is totally fine. Oh, you kids, let's have all you kids stay for dessert. And they're like, all of us kids? And then in come all the other friends And this big fucking scene is made in this quaint little romantical restaurant and no one gives a shit. No maitre d' runs over and says, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Everybody gets ice cream. Yeah. That's they get rewarded for bad behavior. And, and, and he does lay into both of them. He's mad at both of them for not wanting to compromise for not working it out themselves. And I'm like, no, You need to parent, and if you go by the story that Kimberly and Arnold can corroborate, Willis was a fucking dick! Do not get me started on the flawed parenting we see in the 80s sitcoms. All right, I won't. So, there you go. There's the the long version of the synopsis. What do you want to talk about? What What are some bits and pieces you want to discuss? Well, the first thing, David, is the phone call at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It went from delight to terror for me. I don't know about you. <laughs> How so? Because seeing three people run to answer the one phone in the house, I was like, oh, remember that? Yes. Or remember mem- hearing like from across the house, I'll get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and then they pick up the extension and you wait for them to go, I got it. And then you can hang yeah. it up. Yeah. So it kind of made me laugh a little bit seeing three people run for a phone mm. in the house. But it was ruined, David. Why was when, it ruined? Because Conrad Bain gets on the phone <laughs> and starts 
trying to be sexy. Oh. Oh. And I just. <laughs> oh. Like, I, uh, hmm. give a. You've got Conrad Bain. He needs a better choice. Make him awkward. Make, you know what I mean? Make him like, yeah, I do remember la- the last time we, we had dinner. Oh, we, uh, oh, like make him like make her coming on to him and him being like, well, have, oh, blah, blah, I got to yeah. go. Okay. I got to go yeah. out with this woman. Or something. Yeah. But he's like, I want you to wear the red panties <laughs> and I want you to wear them all day. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> I didn't need that. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first thing Arnold says is, Ooh, that lady has a really sexy voice. And uh, when he answers it, and then he says, Oh, you, you think her voice is sexy? You should see where it comes from. And it's like, Ugh. Yeah. And remember, in the early episodes of Maud, he was supposed to be the ladies' man foil to Maud before they brought Ruba Clanahan in as Vivian to be his wife. It was the same thing. So even in the early 70s, they were like, all right, this dude, I mean, forget Robert Redford, forget Paul Newman and Burt Reynolds. We got Conrad fucking Bain. Yeah. If there's ever going to be a panty dropper. And we've got two of him. And we have two of him. We've got his brother, Boner Bain. For Christ's sake. Owner Bane. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. And he does say his friend is in town from England, and she is an English woman and an English actress. Yeah. And uh, and a huge drunk. Uh, met an early demise due to alcohol and drug addiction. It's a very tragic story. And, yeah, it does kind of explain why she looks the way she looks, and she's only, like, 35. <laughs> the actress who plays her is Carol White. Yes. And they made a movie about her life over in the BBC mm-hmm. in the UK. And I I wonder if it was like one of those bad TV made for TV movies where like there's a scene of her in um different strokes and somebody had to play Conrad Bane. <laughs> <laughs> Now I kind of want to watch the movie. <laughs> Did yeah? Was she like as soon as they called cut? Was she yeah. like doing lines of coke off of the you know Gary Coleman's arm or something? But uh, yeah, maybe they got Boner Bane to play Conrad Bane. <laughs> One know. could hope. One can dream. We can have our dreams. Uh, I did verify she is thirty-seven here. Yeah, and that's a that's a nineteen eighty thirty-seven. Clearly. And, and she's pretty, and she's not the greatest when it comes to um, saying lines. And uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Acting. She's kind of mechanical. I mean, granted, she's, you know, she's got to pretend like she's about to slide out of her chair over this guy, who is 57, by the way. He's 20 years her senior. Surprise. And it's gotta be difficult david when when you're carol white and you got to do a scene with 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 um conrad bain because the level that he brings you know what i mean (laughs) it would be like you or i working with nicholson Uh, 
she really needed to turn it up to 11 and I don't think she had the chops. I don't mm-hmm. think so. But yeah, she started out, she is really first and foremost an English actress. She did a lot of bit parts in the 50s and then did do some popular films in the mid to late 60s. And uh, yeah, she died at 1991 at the age of 48. And uh, yeah, and it is noted in IMDb, she does bear a resemblance to Julie Christie, which is which is absolutely true. I do see that. So uh, yeah, there is a little bit cut from syndication. I mean, all of the talk they're doing, it's the, you know, him saying, well, can't you put off whatever it is you have to do tomorrow? Why do you have to leave town? And she's like, well, you know, business before pleasure. Well, at least we have tonight for pleasure before business. Mm. Does he say that? Is that his line? I think, I think? she's. I think she says it to him. Yeah, but it's it's so clear. Part of me is like, what the fuck are you doing in the restaurant? Why didn't you just yeah go to the hotel? You were t- they were talking about going to the hotel, but well, nobody's gonna bottom. So <laughs> eat, eat up, everybody. <laughs> So there's a little bit in their first interaction that's cut from syndication where she says something about, you know, well, the kids are, hopefully they're not going to be an interruption. And he does say, well, there are no kids in your hotel. Are there? Are there? (laughs) (laughs) And either he or she says, I'm glad you noticed. And then there's a weird cut. Clearly something has changed there. What is cut is him chuckling, by the way. (laughs) Why don't you settle down in New York? Aren't you tired of flying all around the world selling your cosmetics? Okay, so clearly they wanted Ava Gabor for this. Truly. And she said, no, darling, I would never fuck that man. (laughs) Uh, And then she says, a girl has to work for a living unless she's married. And he says, ah, keep up the good work. Right. You are a whole to me. (laughs) Oh, no. I was going to say that this just reinforces the, oh, well, no, no, I'm not, you know, I'm just here to play the field. You know, I'm just, God knows I I never would want to settle down or anything, you know? Yeah. But anyway, we do have a fun little running gag with Sasha and his violin. Okay. You want to talk about Sasha? This dude is the most famous person on this show. Isn't he? Frank Duvall, D-E-V-O-L, a veteran actor and musician. I'll let you talk about. You clearly did some research. I just, I just couldn't. I Like every credit I scrolled by, I was like, what? Mm-hmm. A- and I mean, let's just, the one that blew me away, he wrote the Brady Bunch theme song. That is the first thing in my notes. <laughs> Sherwood Schwartz wrote the lyrics. He wrote the tune that we all know that is like indelibly etched into our pop culture these last 50 years. Oh, that was the other one that blew me away. Um, He wrote the song, I've written a letter to daddy. Whatever happened to baby Jane, bitches? Which makes me wonder if he also wrote that horrible um whatever happened to, to baby, baby jane, jane. oh she could sing Mm-mm-mm. she could dance Mm-mm. yeah but um so yeah this dude had a career and here he is playing the violin yeah that, on, but it baits the question what the fuck is he doing here 
I bet he was just one of those wackos that like loved to work and probably worked with um what's his pussy? Seaman and and Seaman and Fox over there. Yeah. Um so they were probably like, hey, we need a violin player. Let's call Frank. Yeah. He'll do it. Yeah. The same way we had um that guy who played the prison inmate in the um Christmas in the big house. Remember the tall prison inmate? Yeah. And that was Stanley Ralph Ross, who had worked on the original Batman 66 and developed Wonder Woman for TV. And it's just like, again, it's like, dude, you're you're too famous to be here. What is happening? But uh, yeah. And and he really is playing the violin. I mean, he's a musician, so he's really playing it. And the running gag is every single time they ask him to play a romantical song to set the mood so they can really be in the mood to fuck since they're not eating any food at this restaurant that every time he starts a phone call, the, the, the waiter comes over with phone call, Mr. Drummond. And, and it becomes quite a funny running gag. And it culminates to him saying, I'm really sorry here, take this for your troubles. And he responds with, sir, I do not take bribes, but I do accept tips and takes the money and leaves. Beautiful, perfect button. Actually, one of the few, if not the only, comedically satisfying thing in this episode. Yeah, liked him a lot. Uh, I, 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 yes, me too. Absolutely. Another little bit cut from syndication as I'm just running down my notes here. Did you wonder why Arnold was dressed in that weird spaceman suit? <laughs> I did, actually. I, I was like, okay, something's missing. There's got to be. I figured I missed it. And I was like, I'm going back. <laughs> well, the first phone call where, and remember the first phone call, uh, Philip originates where she, he's distracted and she says, she says, you're not paying attention to me. And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm just kind of thinking about the kids. And she says, why don't you just call them and check on them? And then you can, you can relax. And he's like, you know, that's a thank you. I appreciate that. So he gets the phone. Well, he dials the phone, but we cut back to the kids. And according to the subtitles, we get a little bit of a scene with the kids before the phone rings chattering. This is where the friends are all uh, are all there now, the friends, which we'll talk about in a minute. It just says chattering. All right, man. Chattering continues. All right, you earth creeps. Get off my planet or I'll laser beam you back to the moon. And then someone else says, Willis, will you tell Arnold to blast off? Chuckles. Ah, oh, come on. You guys promised that I could play with you. Didn't we play hide and seek like you wanted? Yeah, we even let you hide in the closet, but you didn't have to lock the door. Ha <laughs> ha. So it's the older kids trying to do their thing and Arnold trying to be a part of it and them being tired of having to accommodate the younger kid. Got it. So get off my planet or I'll laser beam you back to the moon. I'm like, okay, that justifies why he's wearing these I thought weird pajamas with a silver collar. So uh, did you recognize one of the friends? No, I didn't. You didn't recognize them? No. Well, we have three friends who have joined Charles, Vernon and Jimmy. Charles is played by Tony Williams. He is on four episodes of different strokes playing either Charles or a different character called William. Uh, Vernon is played by Anthony Tompkins. He played that role on four episodes, including the Super Arnold episode that they did for live TV uh, last Christmas. That was the role that Snoop Dogg played. <laughs> awesome. He was 
awesome. They added that line at the end. Hey, Willis, what? How come Vernon always smells like weed? (laughs) (laughs) And the third kid, Jimmy, played by David Coburn, he appeared as Jimmy in two episodes. He is the one you might recognize. He is the white kid. He played Carl in the Who Am I episode of The Facts of Life, a.k.a. the boy that Tootie disco dances with. Remember, Tootie starts dating the boy who refills the candy machine, and he's African-American and is asking her about what is happening here at the school that is not essentially robbing her of her ethnicity. And he even goes so far as to make her feel bad that she's going to be entering the disco contest with this white boy. But at the end of it, Tootie puts her foot down and says, dude, overstepping, I'll date you, but I'm going to dance with him. And over the end credits, we get an extremely awkward pair of tween-aged kids doing a disco dance. I'm thankful I have blocked every memory of that out of my mind. <laughs> yeah. The, the big thing for me, in, in this is my stupid brain, to me, it is the one episode where the cigarette machine stopped being the pastry machine and was conveniently of a candy machine because the boy was the candy boy. So um, candy boy. Yeah. That was a show I pitched to Falcon studios and they never called me back. Oh, I've seen it. (laughs) What? They stole my idea. I don't know if they went with your plot line, but (laughs) I think that's all that's cut out of syndication. That is of consequence. The rest are just little nips and tucks. And they're not really uh, a thing. Well, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the reason why we're here, Matthew, the four facts of life girls. What do you need to say about their appearance? What are your thoughts? (laughs) Well, they were there. They showed (laughs) up. They signed in. (laughs) They said action. They they said what the people had written down for them to say. They said cut. And they went back to their set. Yeah. It's very, very clearly trying to achieve as much as it possibly can in bringing us some facts of life in the different stroke slot. The thing about this is the direction is so clunky. And we know Garen Keith is, is certainly better than this. But it's literally one of those somebody said to him, you need to make sure to highlight these girls and introduce them. So instead of Kimberly saying, these are my friends from Eastland. This is Natalie, Tootie, Cindy, and Molly. Instead, we get close-ups of each of the girls, one at a time. And her saying, this is Natalie. Hi. Cut to. This is Tootie. Hi. Cut to Molly. This is Molly. Hey. And this is Cindy. It was like, oh. But you'll notice that because I noticed I was like, Jesus Christ, we got, we could have cut that a little bit down. But they go, this is Natalie. Hi. This is Judy. Hi. This is Cindy. Hi. This is Molly. (laughs) (laughs) Molly doesn't have a word. She just kind of goes, wave. But she doesn't say anything. <laughs> well, the next, there's another line, and then she has a quip. They figure, well, you know, yeah. we're gilding the lily. We, you let Molly Ringwald talk twice. 
that's, you know, we probably have to pay our extra for that. But yeah, you've got that. And then to add to this later when, um, oh, okay. So this is echoed when Kimberly goes off to the slumber party, but then when the girls show up, surprising the boys, the thing, it's the same thing where it's, okay, we have to give each of them a line in sequence and we have to give each of them a close-up and of course we've got all this disney channel acting so we start with what are you guys doing back here close-up of tootie molly couldn't have her slumber party because her brother's sick cut to molly and cindy was afraid we'd catch it cut to cindy so kimberly said to come over here it's just so stilted so uh, beyond unnatural in the name of we want to make sure to get them in close up put their faces out there i can't believe they didn't put a title underneath their names just to remind us this is natalie this is tootie jesus the only thing more unnatural than that to me was them referring to their sleeping bags as bedrolls bedrolls the fuck is a bedroll well, i i I don't know. Because they said sleeping bags. The yeah, boys they had did. Sleeping bags, but the girls had bedrolls. Well, I think uh, during the, the the Great War, that's what the soldiers called them in the foxholes. Yeah, the jimmies. <laughs> Which is when our, I believe, our writers uh, actually did serve their country. So, um, yeah. They called it the Great War because it was before World War II. Yeah. <laughs> Another bad direction moment, speaking of the bedrolls, where Willis is like, no, you guys cannot stay here. That is not acceptable. Get your bedrolls and get out of here. The girls walk over. The girls walk over. The girls bend down. The girls grab their things. In silence, girls picking up their things. And then finally, when they stand, then Dana Plato says, no, put those bedrolls down. We're not going anywhere. And and ends up with, you know, pick them up, put them down. And then we get a Natalie Jewish line. Please make up your mind. I'm getting the bends. <laughs> but it's like directorially, you couldn't have inserted a couple of lines to fill. You couldn't have asked the writers to say, okay, the time it's going to take for tween-aged girls to walk over and pick up their thing. That's not a thing you can have had. That's like 227 when the door rings, like I said. Ding dong. Silence as Marla Gibbs just walks across the set <laughs> and opens the door. And then Helen walks in. And then she closes the door behind her. And then they turn and face each other. Hi, Helen. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is happening? So anyway, um, yeah, so those are three, that, that one is really bad. The first two that I discussed, we could dismiss it that, hey, the director was being strong-armed by the network saying, no, highlight those girls. We want close-ups. We want to make sure that they, if they're not there as far as running time, that they're there visually. But that one was just unforgivably clumsy, 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 clumsy. What else, Matthew? What else you want to discuss? The only other thing I have is I felt like this was the sitcom tropiest tropes of tropes that ever was in the sitcom trope. <laughs> yes. From like putting someone in charge, putting the kids, putting someone in charge. 
Like, did your parents do that? Like, was it like, I mean, my brother was older, so it was like, yeah, he's a in foregone charge. conclusion. My sister yeah. was older. Yeah. There there was none of this. Okay, you're in charge. Now I'm in charge. Bullshit. Yeah. And um, boys versus girls, and boys can't get along with girls. I, it, it, I was just like, eh, okay. And the last one where I was like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ, the pillow fight. Yeah. Has anyone in real life ever had a pillow fight where the room was filled with feathers, for Christ's sake? I would have been beaten within an inch of my life if my mother came home and saw a <laughs> pillow fight like that had exploded in our house. Yeah, and that's the last time we see the kids before we cut back to the restaurant and they all come in. So what we don't know is the scene happening after the show is that that house is they're going to come home and find that house full of feathers. And hopefully then Philip will beat their goddamn asses. Like they all deserve the little fucking brats. <laughs> I was thinking the only trope we're missing was that they didn't put a line down the middle of the room. They didn't tape. Uh, right. This is our side. This is your side. That's a, right. such a sitcom trope. But, but the last thing I have to say, and we give this show a lot of shit, David. Yes, we do. It's it's not a great show. But, and I say this with all sincerity, Gary Coleman had a gift. He was magic. And, and not, I mean, he wasn't given these great lines, but his delivery and the one that hit me, he knew how to get a laugh, or at least he was trained so well to get a laugh. Like when he was doing that, oh, it's chicken delight. It, you can make it chicken delight. You can make it dinner delight or whatever. Mm -hmm. He had that running back. And there was a laugh in between, and he paused for it. And and I noticed that he took a pause for it and then put that button on there. And I was like, God damn it, Gary Coleman. Mm-hmm. Mm. Good for him. He always delivers it in these shows. And it's it's nice to say that and not be facetious and not have a but. Yeah. My only other notes, just of things of, of note, we of course do get a what you talking about, Willis. And we also got Tootie saying, there's going to be trouble. So they were sure like, okay, we're going to get both shows catchphrases. Yeah. Out there. Their course was clear. Their task was very obvious. And this was the best they could come up with. When the network said, okay, this other show is dying. And we need to do something to get those characters into this show. Stat. And then the final moment when all the kids come in and he's like, well, we're going to buy you dessert. We're going to do that whole thing. The fact that all the kids come running in manically, maniacally, crazily, noisily. And then it all ends with them clumped together in a perfect tableau around one side of the table, making sure that, okay, your head, I can see you through this window here. And you're going to be that. Well, if you could crouch down a little bit lower, then her chin won't be cut off. It, it just so obviously that, and them doing that thing we've, we always laugh at on the facts of life the okay haha they're rolling the credits now and the audience is just applauding and we're just kind of filling space and doing space and haha look at pointing and smile <laughs> oh so awkward so that's another one for the books kids it's another crossover episode our beloved facts of life girls clearly still trying to find their way 
And uh, I wonder if they're going to do okay, the Specs of Life girls. Yeah, I'm, I'm really pulling for them. I think they might just get a miracle. It might just happen. I'm pulling for two of them. <laughs> two of these things will be employed next year. Two of Aww, these things. That's terrible. Yep. Um, yeah. So, of course, we have to rate this. How many talkaholic chips for different strokes, the slumber party? Jesus. I think I'm out of chips, dude, for different strokes. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, if it's... anything, we do need at least we need something with Mrs. Garrett in it. That's the big thing. If if anything, because right now Gary Coleman is pulling all of the weight of the show. Yeah. And woof, that that says a lot. He had a lot on his little shoulders. It, yeah, that says a lot when you look at this and you're like, he is the only thing right now that is working. Everything else they are surrounding him with is just. <laughs> but um, um, I, I don't believe in giving zero talkaholic chips, Matthew. I don't believe in that. I think all art deserves to be acknowledged. All right. Here's here's one. All right. <laughs> so you're going to give it one after all. OK, sure. <laughs> Okay, the way we would see Ebert and Siskel with their enthusiastic thumbs up. Yeah. This would be one unenthusiastic talkaholic chip. Almost a begrudging. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to give it one. I think that I think at very least, hey, they, you know, they they got it uh, on TV. It it exists. Um the the set didn't burst into flames and the children didn't all die. That's that's something to be commended and rewarded. The wonderful Carol Channing said to me one time <clears throat> that actors are the best audience because we're so amazed you got the show up. It doesn't have to be good. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is very astute, actually. Damn. Well, that's it. We know what goes into it. We know that. Even the shittiest, awful. Paula Poundstone used to say that in her stand-up. She's like, when you are watching late night TV and a terrible, shitty infomercial, the worst thing you've ever seen, someone wrote that. Mm -hmm. that. That is very likely the best draft of several that someone actually took time to work at and put pen to paper or keys to computer keyboard. And yeah. Even that it's like even the worst thing, it's like people work on it and put a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And it's just it's tragic when it when it just doesn't gel. It doesn't doesn't all come together, doesn't come out in the wash, as they say. Yes, Beverly Ann. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> give me give me another example. Go ahead. I can't do it. It's he, time for bed, girl. It is. It is. It's almost 930. Good God. How are we still both vertical, Grandpa? Oh, I never thought you'd ask. All right. <laughs> oh, and he's laying down. Whoops. And now the legs are up. Okay. Get the leg up. Man, the leg up. <laughs> <laughs> can't get it down. Um, well, Tutti Fruities, this is Talkaholics for January of 2023. We, as always, send you our bestest, warmest wishes for a happy, peaceful, 
healthy and prosperous new year. And we so greatly appreciate your supporting the show. And stay tuned. We still got more Talkaholics to come. And as we savor the last few episodes of Let's Face the Facts, please know that we are doing so with deep, deep gratitude towards you folks who are such devoted fans. Yeah, gracias. I like to keep it bilingual for our Spanish listeners. Yeah. Okay, then. Well, that wraps it up, and we will be back at you next month. And until then, smooches, dear Tutti Fruities, mwah, and goodbye. Bye, David. Bye, Matthew. Aww. It takes different strokes to move the world. Yes, it does. It takes different strokes to move the world. Oh, so. Uh, no, more about gel coat. When the fourth... Don't you call in the... More importantly, 